and talking to our friends. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Hellboy Book Club. My name is John Salinas, and I'm here with... Aubrey Loveless. And I'm Danielle. And I'm Matt Schreckbeck. Hey, how's it going, everybody? Hey. hey. We're having a wonderful spring day here in Houston in, in the middle in of winter. winter yeah. yeah. <laughs> Don't worry, winter will return. Yeah. And then in spring will happen again, and then... <laughs> and that's, that's how nature happens. And that's how Houston is. Yeah. <laughs> you posted a picture earlier, Matt. It was all snowing over there, right? Oh, wow. Oh, yeah, it snowed a lot. It snowed a... Like three or four times last week. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, we're going to get more snow this week, too, apparently. How'd that pup like it? She doesn't. She's from Corpus Christi, Texas. Oh, yeah, that's oh, right. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. I forgot about that. And uh, she and I prefer warm weather mm-hmm. right, and right, lounging right, yeah. around in the yard. Yeah. <laughs> well, you'd love it here now. I bet. All right, and we got some birthday wishes for Craig McKnight. Birthday Happy wishes. birthday. Happy yeah. birthday, Craig, Craig. McKnight. And Book club member. I know, the ultimate. Yeah. And thanks so much, Matt Strackbind, for doing the heavy lifting with that amazing birthday card, Matt. Matt Strackbind, yes. Thank yeah. you so yeah. much for that. That was great work. I can't believe you, I mean, came out with that so quickly. That was amazing. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> Within like a day, I think. I know. Yeah. I couldn't believe that. That was so fun. Aww. Like So John and I talked about it on the phone first. Yeah, I remember because he was like, oh, do you think it's okay for me to ask? him if he will draw this because yeah. that's and i was like well we'll definitely pay him but then you were like no you can't pay us it's a birthday gift and so that's very sweet of you too yes thank to you to do Matt. that that's yeah. awesome oh, he deserved it of course but it was fun flipping through those hellboy art books trying to decide on yeah, which cover to spoof that was, a good one. That was so fun <laughs> I love looking through books like that. They're yeah. great. No, but at one point, Matt was like, I don't know anyone else who will do this on the phone with me. Like, go to, like, hey, flip to page <laughs> 29. Yeah. Look at this one. <laughs> oh, what about this one? Flip to this page. Friendship. Anyway, that was great. Oh, that's awesome. Well, yeah. Craig McKnight uh, does so much very good work yes. for this community with the raffle and everything. So that was really awesome that you were available to make that for him. Thank you for doing that. Yeah. It really yeah. looks great. Yeah, sure. He's like one of our patron saints, yes. I feel like. Really. And Craig responded. He said, wow, this really tugged the heartstrings. Much appreciated. (laughs) Yeah, so that's great. I also want to thank Eve Turingi for sharing his analysis on Lobster Johnson and the Continental Op. So he went ahead and posted that to our page, and then I shared it. So good research, man. Thanks for sharing. Yeah, that was was really good. Thank you. Yeah. There was no way I could have read all that on the podcast. It would (laughs) would have to have been like a separate essay piece or something. Oh, it was so good though. That's like something that could be posted like on like a like one of those websites like neoloversity.com. Yeah, I our Facebook page is starting to become like a hub for all these different things, you right. know? What I mean, it's almost like we need our own page to link all these different resources and stuff like that. So, yeah, that's really awesome to see all the community coming together. Yeah. Mr. Forp on Twitter said, I love how your podcast has slowed me down and really made me think about the art of Mike Mignola. And his creative intentions when I'm reading them. Yeah, I thought that was a great bit of feedback. Thank you. Yeah. And now we're going to go on to our listener feedback section. Get out, trade some floppies. Get out, hardback copies. Digital is fine. Read along the time. Get out. Holy shit, we got an actual in the mail. Hey, you damn guys. (laughs) 
from Kyle Sanchez. He sent us this awesome cannot believe that spl- Hellboy splash really? page. It's amazing. Yes, it's oh. really incredible. Very beautiful work. You did. You out. Did, wow. I mean, <laughs> yeah, great work. Yeah, you I'll be, did yourself. <laughs> I'll be sharing that on the social media so everyone could check it out. He said he actually messaged me a while back and he said, "Hey, you damn guys, great podcast." I'm an up-and-coming comic artist and have done a pretty sweet Hellboy splash page. I was wondering if you had a mailing address so I could send it to Aww. you to say thanks for making the podcast and deepening my love for all things Hellboy. Aww. You know, when he sent it, I like, you know, I yeah. I was beside myself Seriously. for a little bit. And so I sent him some messages and I sent him like the Wayne's World gif where they're like, we're not where yeah. and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> and good on you for working hard to make your art dreams come true. I know yeah. that's a really tough gig and you know getting your stuff out there but we really appreciate that that is very sweet you know we're not like out here like asking people for send us gifts and stuff so that was very came as a huge surprise and just always reminds me of what a special community this is full of so many kind people who are coming together to share their appreciation for all this stuff so it's a book club (laughs) kyle sanchez book club member yeah you got it yeah, when I got over here today and uh, you showed me the uh, piece, I was like, holy shit, this is amazing. There's so much little detail mm-hmm. in there, I too. I mean, I can't wait for you to post it so everybody else can see it, because they're going to be like, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> he said, oh, my gosh, thank you so much. Glad you like it. The piece was a team effort. Michael Sanders did the colors at Sanders Digital Art oh, on wow. Instagram. He is amazing and quite gifted. Our friend... Chaco did the pencils at Chaco.comicsartist. His attention to detail blows my mind. I recently finished inking a comic called The Hawk, and all my work is on Instagram at Sancho underscore Ponza. I recently passed on your podcast to my brother to listen to. He's never read any Hellboy books and thought he would like the in-depth analysis you do. Keep up the amazing work. So thank you so much yeah. for sharing us, too. Awesome. That's so thank awesome. You. Yeah. Mega props with the pencils as well for Chaco for the for the pencils. That's, yeah, really incredible. But also, yeah, that's, you know, inkers don't get enough credit for what they do. Oh, yeah. If oh, you yeah. don't ink your own stuff, because sometimes I think there's like a schedule thing where it's like you just don't have time to ink your own stuff or whatever, stuff like that. Yeah, or, well, you know, sometimes like the comic industry is so It's just very, yeah, yeah. So inkers don't get enough credit. If they do their job well you would never be able to fucking notice. Yeah. That's the thing about it. Oh, man. I actually just watched this video on this one inker who would, like, alter Jack Kirby's work. Oh, man. I'll have to send you the video, but it was just like, you know, like, Jeez. he'd, like, draw people and the inker would be all like, no, I'm not drawing any of this. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. That's, see, this is not the kind of inker I'm right. talking about. Well, Yo, I don't know why I just thought of that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I mean, but inkers, I mean, they can bring beauty and life to the artwork. It's interesting, too, when people do their own colors, like our very own Matt Strackbine. Yeah. Did the fucking roughs, the inks, the colors, all of that shit in one day. That's super fucking impressive. And and lending your own style to something that was someone else's style is such a line to walk. And it's really so. you Yeah. Props all around for all our amazing artists in the uh, book club. Yeah, we have so many cool artist friends. What was I going to say? Oh, Mignola started off as an inker. Uh Uh-huh. That's what he did. Exactly. For many years, he worked for the big two inking their stuff before. And look at his style. I mean, he has such a mastery over shadow and light. That's really what you have to have. Yeah. Yeah, I really like some of the inking stuff he did when uh, over Walt Simonson's work. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. right. We also got a Hey You Damn Guys from William Thunholm. William Thunholm. Book club member. He said, since I'm um, saving Lobster Johnson for later, I'm sorry to say I haven't listened regularly these last few weeks, but it's good to be back. The fact that Rise of the Black Flame gave us a backstory for the Black Flame that connected it to the Black Goddess was kind of cool. 
But let's be honest, Sarah Jewell stole the show. I love that they took the classic part of the occult investigator, which is often either a grumpy old man or an action hero, and gave it to a woman in her 50s who is positive, badass, and clever. Yes. Yeah. So good. Oh, yeah. She was a great character. Yeah. I, I want more I of really her. like her. Yeah. I think I cast her as Angelica Houston, and I love Angelica Houston, but now that I'm thinking <laughs> about it, no, 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 now that I'm thinking about it seriously, I think Joan Cusack. Okay. Joan Cusack would be better oh, for that Cusack. role. I really oh, like yeah. her. Yeah, because Angelica Houston does that kind of very, you know, aloof thing very well. But I really think a Joan Cusack would be more kind yeah. of that speed like of that. like, yeah, I was kind of an action hero. <laughs> now I'm just sort of a paranormal investigator. So whatever yeah, kind of thing. I think great. I would really like to see that. That'd be good. I'm saying this as though it's going to fucking happen, but <laughs> just in my head canon, this is this is what I like to do as I cast people. Anyway. Continue. For some reason, when you said Angelica Houston and Angela Lansbury came into my head for some I reason. Love, <laughs> I love Angela Lansbury. She's amazing. And then he also mentioned, remember we're trying to figure out where the Agra Jihad medallion was from? Remember, yeah. I was like, where did oh, we see yeah. that? Did Rasputin wear it? It's from the guy in the island. So remember, they stabbed that guy, and all the sand came out, and it became that Ergoham oh, monster oh, or whatever. Oh, right, yeah. He was right. the one wearing the Agdra Jihad necklace. And I think also, I think somebody else, Nathaniel Green, also mentioned it too. William said, so let's talk about Hellboy and Hell. Art, colors, story, everything is just awesome. Hats off to Mr. Mignola and Stewart. You talked a lot about how the characters change form in Hell, and how they might change between their true form, often skeletons, and how they see themselves, normal people. I think that is true for Morgan in The Wild Hunt. She sees herself as alive and beautiful, but is actually a corpse who is waiting for the heir to Excalibur. So we saw that too. I don't know if you remember in The Wild Hunt, yeah. like she was, she sometimes she looked all beautiful, and then other times she was like a skeleton behind the chessboard or something. Remember? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, I didn't make that connection until you brought it up, but yeah, that's exactly what was going on. In Hell, I think it's different. I think that the laws of physics and time and reality are just so loose and often dreamlike. That sure, sometimes someone looks like a skeleton, then suddenly like a human. And sometimes you and a friend just happen to be small enough to fit in a skull-shaped cookie jar that's actually smaller than you are. I don't think it has a greater meaning than that. I just think that's how it works in hell. Another thing that you guys talked about a few times on the podcast is how in the Mignolaverse, witchcraft isn't by nature good or bad even if it's demonic in origin, but rather is defined by what you do with it. I think the death card takes that one step further by showing us that hell as a consequence for use of supernatural powers isn't even good or bad. The vampire of Prague did some evil and supernatural stuff and was sent to hell because of it, but for him it wasn't punishment, it was more like a dream vacation. Even the priest in the death card was sent to hell for some reason but continued to do what he did best in life, helping people find a way to heaven. And I think he made good about that too. Hope at least some of that made sense. Best wishes and see you in hell. <laughs> I thought that was awesome. Yeah. yeah, what a great analysis. That actually really is a good analysis That's because I mean, um, I'm going to elaborate on the neutral neutrality of the location mm -hmm. um, where it's like, you know, yes, you work the dark magic and you go to this place and right. things like that. I mean, it, it's like the good and evil is really who in you yeah right yeah exactly and that's like your your journey is the mm. like when people say the decisions that you are making right now currently presently in your life are going to create a form of hell or form of heaven yeah. within your life as you live it so that's kind of a if you're waiting for after you're dead you're missing the whole point of yeah. the journey and so this is kind of like a expanded very psychedelic after right, yeah. like this is the next leg of the journey kind of a thing and it's the same except way more intense yeah like the consequences are 
either very, very extreme to one end or the other. And right. it's, it's such a high and low wave. Either you'll turn into form. a beautiful bird and fly away or yeah. a Leviathan will come out on the ground and eat you. Right. <laughs> and so if you, but if you are, if your soul is released and becomes the bird form and all that stuff, you still, I, I think about like, you still have such a long journey, but we saw that parting in the clouds yeah. and like, you know that it's, it, it'll take you like longer to get there. It might be a little more treacherous and a little more convoluted, but you eventually will be able to work your way to a different space. Like you're saying, yeah. all these spaces mm-hmm. exist and it's kind of what your decisions get you yeah. into these spaces and stuff yeah. like that. So that's kind of one I of those things that. that's like, you know, you think about it as like, it's a permanent deal, but like maybe it's not. So mm-hmm. it's kind of a... Yeah. <laughs> I remember reading about this one particular version of hell in religion, in certain religions where it's not a permanent thing. It's right. like you, hell is a place you go to work off your sins. Oh, okay. Oh. And Interesting. however yeah. long it takes, yeah. you eventually can right. work your way out of hell right right i like um, i like the idea that it's not like a magical well i mean we are dealing with a lot of magic i just mean like it's not something that you push a button and this thing it's like your decisions are going to directly impact the way you're behaving and that in turn is going to affect other people and so that is like it's not so much there's not so much someone who's like yeah you're going here you're going there it's like you're you're taking yourself to these places yeah. buddy like you are doing right. this yeah. so it's yeah it's like it, it, it's your actions put you where you go. Exactly. Not some outside force deciding you go here, you yeah. go here, right, you go right. here. But I'm still curious as to Hellboy specifically. Like he just kind of has this weird magical deal about him where he's just got a raw deal going on. Oh, well, maybe it is. Well, I mean, situations he goes back that he's home, in, you know. But he but, also is well, in these situations where he's fighting these demon queen goddesses yeah. and because he's like, hey, someone's got to do it. It's got to be me. I have the Excalibur and all this stuff. So I don't know if that's just like a magical connection well, that he's fated for or if it's something that it's like, look, I actually decided to do this work. I'll take the consequences of it. With Hellboy, I mean, he actually got his heart ripped out and dragged into hell. Yeah. So I think it's more like you oh, know, yeah. he was brought there against his will or something like but that. But he's yeah. willing to deal with the fallout oh, yeah. of that because of the oh, decisions. Of he, it all still comes down to... Yeah, your decided behavior, which yeah. is very interesting. Anyway, sorry. I have a quick comment on the time in hell. Uh, to me, in Hellboy in Hell, hell the the place feels like one bad trip, and like yeah. the def- one of the defining characteristics of a bad trip is like losing a sense of time uh-huh. or not knowing, oh, yeah, yeah, what yeah. time it is, or or like if you're so intoxicated that you black out and you you forget everything from the day before or or, or like you said before. there's a distorted sense of of time and space where you're not quite sure like what's going yeah yeah so if it was temporary but you didn't have any sense of time uh-huh. temporary would not matter yeah yeah right. it would feel like an you know, infinity that's yeah. a good point it's like Absolutely. how they say dogs don't have a sense of time Aww. i don't know if this is true but like if you leave the house for five minutes i could feel like hours Aww. to them yeah or hours could feel like a few minutes right. like that would that would literally drive me nuts Aww. like i wouldn't be able to handle it. yeah yeah that's, that's really an interesting, interesting point. Yeah. yeah that's interesting and and also those like weird bug guys that come out of the oh yeah, ether. yeah. like that is so psychedelic <laughs> it's so interesting the way that this is taking shape anyway i guess we'll start talking about that soon but. right we also got uh hey you damn guys from paul graham he actually just said hey guys paul graham oh. <laughs> uh, hello polite book club member <laughs> he said when we were talking about couples in the hellboy universe you missed an iconic one Rasputin and Ilsa Hopstein. Oh, yeah. A match made in heaven yeah. or the outer 
Darkness, the old romantic Rasputin made Elsa an Iron Maiden mixtape. Yikes. <laughs> <laughs> Yikes, buddy. That was a good one. Yeah. Thank you, man. <sighs> I love that. That was oh, great. Oh, man. We also got a hello, you darn guys, from Brian uh, Levy. Brian Levy. Brian Levy. Another polite book club member. <laughs> oh, and congratulations on your engagement. Yes, Brian congratulations, Brian, Brian Congratulations. That is so awesome. I think so he nice. proposed in a cemetery. Yeah. Mignola would have been proud. That's precious. Wow. <laughs> he said, man, isn't Hellboy just the best character? He's so soulful. His body language, his expressions, the way he speaks to people, it's all just so, so good. I love Hellboy and Hell. Yeah. I love these little stories of what happens when Hellboy is really just existing, not burdened by his destiny or whatever. <laughs> also, seriously, Mignola's dialogue is just fantastic. Matt nailed it by comparing it to dialogue from a children's book. It's so simple but full of heart. It kind of reminds me of my mom reading to me when I was a really little kid. Very simple and direct, and especially when there's side characters discussion stuff, saying it's true all the time. Extremely cute in the way a storybook is. The Three Gold Whips really might be the best Hellboy story. I've been returning to it over and over again since I first read it. Lots of people put the corpse in first place, but Three Gold Whips is indescribably good. I'm honestly having a hard time describing what makes it good. It just hits the spot. I'm not an ASMR guy, but if anything could give me ASMR, it's reading this story. It's the old stuff. It's the old, I'm having an adventure. And yeah. it's, yeah, it's yeah. very, I'm running into some wacky characters here. Yeah, and it's got that element of like the three gold whips, and I got to figure out what I need to eat, and uh -huh. it's this weird thing, it's, and yeah. you know, and it's all this kind of Alice in Wonderland ish. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'll admit when we, um, before we got to Hellboy in Hell, I had no idea what to expect, and I right. didn't expect this. <laughs> mm -hmm. But this is just, it's been wonderful. Yeah, it's really neat. I mean, this is, hands down, one of the best things I've ever read. Yeah, I think, like, I totally agree with you, because when I read, when I knew Hellboy in Hell was coming out, and I was expecting it to be, like, some epic mythology, here's where they're going to yeah. drop all the knowledge. And the first four issues were kind of like that, where they talked about his brothers and all that kind of stuff. But then this stuff, I was like, what is this? Because they were like little it. one shot yeah. stories. But yeah, it is really good. But I remember being puzzled by it as well. It's so, it's yeah. so, I have brought this up before and I, I have to reiterate, I'm sorry. There are people who will say that illustration is not high art and this proves them wrong. This is one of the things. Oh. Yeah, one of the things that proves wrong. those people wrong. Those people <laughs> yeah. are wrong. And it's, I will point to something like this. I, mean, I don't even know if these people have seen shit like this because this is amazing. Oh, it's I mean, incredible. But it's interesting yeah. that you say that because some people, and I'm not speaking of anyone specific in our reading group, but like I've just seen online, like a lot of people did not respond well to this. And they were like, what is this? And they didn't get it. That's odd to you me. You know what I mean? That's yeah. odd to me. Like people say, didn't get it or, or people thought like, oh, whatever, whatever. I mean, you kind of have to. It's art, it, you it, fuckers. It is, it is. And you have to read it like that. But then also... There is this thing where it's paying off all these little things. If you hadn't read The Magician and the Snake, mm -hmm. would it have as much? Would these stories have as much? I still think you it know would. I, I just mean? think that's a different avenue to, and that's that's something that I think is special is having these avenues that come in and that is very rewarding and incredible. Yeah. I still think that it stands on its own even without all that shit. I really do. I think you could pick this up and read it and be like, sure, fuck okay. yeah, let me go back and read all this other shit. Oh, I know totally, I would totally agree. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it's it's just one of those stories you can pick up and read without 
having to know, but it'll make you want to know. Yeah. It's magnificent. Yeah. I mean, even if there was no dialogue, I could just look at it for hours because I would still know that something is happening here. And I would, mm-hmm. I mean, the colors have never been better and the, the artwork itself is incredible, but, and the story that it tells stands by itself. I like it a lot. I mean, like, like if we had, we read the, the three snake or the three, the three snakes, <laughs> With the three wizard snakes, the three wizard snakes. Uh, had we read the three whips uh, without had reading the um, magician and the snake, I still would have enjoyed yeah. it. I would have been. And then okay. like, and then if you had dropped out now, I wanted you to read this story. Yeah. That would have been like, Oh yeah, it yeah. would have been like a kind of a revelation. But but reading it the other way, it was still like a oh yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> you still got some of that. But this, I can say it, it's just that good. <laughs> this team's art, I would it could stand up next to yeah. I would put it up against any high art you've got. Oh yeah, you know? oh, yeah. So okay, so here's the point of view from the from someone who's read everything over and over and over and over again. When I got to Hellboy in Hell, I did notice a distinction after the first four issues. And in hindsight, those felt like things that had to be said. Yeah. And he knew how he was going to do it because Manola had a well-rounded version of Hell Mm. for for this story, right? And for this universe. And so he knew how he was going to deliver that information. And then after that, when we got here specifically to the two issues we're going to read today. Right. It occurred to me that this is the Hellboy he had always wanted to tell. Yeah. I might be wrong. Sure. But it no, felt yeah, like you're right. he yeah. either didn't know exactly how to go about it or a whole bunch of stuff had to come before this to make it, to make it possible. But either way, he found the groove. Yeah. And this is the point where he was like, all right. Now I can do it. And that's whether so smart. I, whether yes. he just got it or it occurred to him yeah. or whatever. Well, to have... He was like, I know exactly how I want to do it. And I think we kind of saw this in the third wish. And if you know anything about the behind the scenes, I think it was the third wish. It was all of strange places, I think. Okay. He was having a real struggle with layouts. Oh, right. And we talked about that. Yeah. There's a bunch of discarded yeah. pages for the island yeah, and stuff starts, like that. starts, right? Yeah. Fits and starts. But I think that there he was like he was trying to get to this he was like why do we have to deliver all this information and it's just you know underwater (laughs) like if it could be in hell he'd be like oh i totally know what to do right right i know how to draw it i know how to depict it it all makes sense it's statues with weird things going on lots of blood (laughs) right and i think that he was that struggle, and this is all just my speculation and totally in hindsight from this point back. He was looking for the right line, the right shape, the right mark, the right way to to deliver the story per panel and per page. And it was only now that he was able to nail it. And I think that's why everyone's like, oh, this is different. To have built such a strong foundation over so many years is so fucking smart. To play the long game, to do that slow burn, to really take the time to cultivate, you know, your your skills and to really like hone them and, and care about them the way that he shows his pages so much care and to have such an incredible team alongside you working on this with as much enthusiasm as you are over so many years gave him everything he needed. It was a, the perfect situation for him to to make this and you can really tell like this is... This is not a diamond in the rough. This is a fully polished fucking diamond. Like, this is something that he 
was working on for, I mean, I don't know how many fucking years it was. Like from the first stuff we started reading of Hellboy, I can look back on that and see he's laying the foundation for all of this. And so when you get to the serious big time stuff like the island and all that, you're like, wow, what's this guy doing? What's his, what's his game? And so you like that, those are some of the most impactful stories I've ever read in all of sequential art. This stuff now that we're looking at, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. It's like, it was just the time to do it. It was time to finally do it. And that's, it's really rewarding when you can have someone whose career has been, he's worked so hard for it. And we're seeing what happens when someone works that hard at what they do. It's this. That's that's that when you're a master be, of your craft. Like, that's, this is it. Might be the true value to having a creator-owned comic absolutely it's, yeah. it's that absolutely eventually you'll get to your sweet spot <laughs> because it's all up to you yeah. right and so if you keep at it it's only gonna get better and it's incredible yeah. i keep bringing this up but it's incredible what a team this is everybody working mm-hmm. on it my mignola dave yeah. stewart scott alley i mean ev- they've been building this for so long and when you've got people that you trust like you just can't fail it's ima- it's it's really something to see so i'm glad we're getting into this for sure brian also said also to matt i just got back on twitter after a long break and didn't realize when you've been talking about independent news media you've been talking about the majority report there have been many many days where i've listened to the hellboy book club and the majority report back to back Congrats on that guy's tattoo, by the way. Somebody got. Oh, yeah. I saw that. <laughs> that was great. Somebody got some of your oh, art uh, tattooed on them, Matt. That's crazy. Isn't that funny. Yeah, that's a first for me. <laughs> that's pretty awesome. I, I've had things I designed show up on the cover of Sports Illustrated, oh, wow. Popular Mechanics, a Wheaties box. <laughs> um, I'm still holding out for Mad Magazine. Uh, oh, nice. Anyway, Is that still a thing? Uh, I didn't even know that was still a thing. I think so. No, yeah. they just canceled. Oh, uh, wow. Sorry, buddy. But the tattoo thing was pretty cool, man. That's awesome. Because he asked me, was it cool? And I was like, yeah, here's like an exclusive, right? I just drew those two guys real quick. And it was like 40 hours later or something. (laughs) Oh, wow. He was ready to go. I was like, oh, man, he just cranked it out. Yeah, I thought that was He was waiting outside the shop. (laughs) Yeah. But, But yes, so that is what I've been doing is spoofing that kind of like the majority report. Yeah. They're great because it's a group of people and the dynamics are like built in for a comic strip or making fun, right? <laughs> All of ind- independent media needs to be promoted. Like I, I don't have what it takes to fight the good fight by knocking on doors and calling people and telling them right, 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 yeah. everything. I'm not that guy, but I'll make comics to promote people who promote that sort of you know activity. For yeah, sure. yeah. Hey, teach yeah. their own to each their own abilities That's or whatever. Awesome. Yeah. 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 So that is so awesome. You can check that out on the letter hack, right? On Twitter, you're at the letter yep. hack. Yep. That's right. We've had some new listeners coming on. And so we're getting some feedback on some older stories. We got some feedback on BPRD, the universal machine. Mm. Here are a few thoughts on the universal machine from Christian Stanfield. He said, overall, I think this is the best book series arc so far. The black flame was good, but that arc really just teed up the ball. This was a story that drove it several hundred yards down the fairway and right into the cup. I think that the village houses in Albaden, France, are constructed with huge paver stones made from the collapsed ruins of the old castle. That's a really nice touch. I also think that as Kate and Thierry disappear into the back of the bookstore, it seems as though the mythical space that they enter is in fact his old castle. Not sure if it's been specifically called out. So... As there, and I don't, I don't think I noticed. I need to go back and look. But he says like the bookshelves start to turn into like the ceiling, 
and so obviously oh, the wow. books would start falling out. But that's where it kind of that that's where it kind of makes that shift into the from his bookstore into the fantasy part. Oh man, I have to go back and look at that. But yeah, I mean, that, that's a good observation. It's cool to explore how an extreme case of collecting gone wrong can unfold. A guy who literally made a deal with the devil to extend his life and continue to build his collection for hundreds of years. And he even at one point muses on his obsession, stating that if he could only view the entire world as his collection. But alas, he recognizes his compulsion to have the actual artifact in his possession. I kind of hate to admit it, but I know what he feels like, and I know that the struggle is real. Oh, jeez. <laughs> when the demon burns up his whole collection, I have nightmares about my rare record collection going up in a house fire. Oh, wow. It's all 78 cool. RPM records from the 1920s and 30s. The thought of losing this stuff forever is terrifying. As Danielle would say, horrible. <laughs> 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 Finally... Yeah, the part at the end where Johan's ectoplasm goes into Roger, and then you turn the page, and bam, Mignola art. Words fail me. I gotta say, having Mignola drop in on the art was so damn impactful. No disrespect to any of the other artists working in the universe, but Mike's art just carries such weight, you know? It's like weighty. It weighs on you. Settling like one of those new heavy blankets and pulls you down into a slower-moving reality, where every little detail means more, and everything is so reflective and introspective. It's a very satisfying experience and the most fitting end to this story to give it the emotional heft that it deserves. And despite my tears, day I say a happy ending of sorts. So there you go. Yeah, that was so awesome. That end part with Roger and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. Man, we read that story like, what, 2018? <laughs> <laughs> it was a while ago, but I like, how, I like how he says the uh, his art pulls you down into a slower moving reality where every little detail means so much more. And I think that that's a, yeah. such a great way to describe it as we get into the Hellboy and Hell discussion. Man, the thing about uh, worrying what's going to happen to your collection and all that. Yeah. I kind of used to worry about that, you know, like what's going to happen to all my comics and all that. And tell my sister lost everything in Harvey. And uh, right. it just kind of made me think, yeah. It's just stuff, yeah. Yeah, it's not worth it. I mean, but it makes me more selective about what I really want to keep. Yeah, yeah. Because also, I just moved and I don't want to... I'm tired of lugging those fucking boxes around. (laughs) I feel you, man. We had some feedback on Hellboy Darkness Calls from Adam Hicks. Hey, guys, just started listening to your episode on Darkness Calls. Long way back, I know, but the strong theme of witches and Hecate in it reminded me of a song. Since you guys are metalheads, I figured you also might like it. And so he linked um, this song call from Atlantean Codex called Here Is Arch. I don't know if I'm saying that right. Thousand-Faced Moon. And so I listen to it, and they say, like, Gorgo Morgo, Moon of a Thousand Faces, and all that kind of stuff, which is what they say in Darkness Calls, too. So that's awesome. I'll link a little bit of that song here. Oh, man. Anytime somebody sends a metal song, send it my way. Yeah, it was really good. <laughs> I was listening to it last night. We had some feedback on Rise of the Black Flame when I posted about the Vril and Black Flame cosmic space eyes. Brian Levy said, I don't think we'll ever get a cut and dry explanation of exactly what's going on here, but this is just about my favorite stuff in all these series. Wiggly Wackadoo Cosmology. Give me more. I love it. And Nathaniel Green said, I am smitten for mitten. <laughs> <laughs> 
the relationship of Hecate and Urshigal is interesting, but I think more foggy is the Infernal Realm and its relationship incompatibility with the Urshigal Hecate Ogdra Jihad as seen in the fungus infected vampires. Whereas the fungus comes from the Ogdra Jihad and the vampires from Hecate, shouldn't they be compatible together? I like that they don't, but it does scramble my egg a bit. Yeah, that is weird. Yeah, so remember we talked about that fungus. And when the fungus, it killed the vampires. Remember yeah. all that? Yeah. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that that is interesting. You would think they would have, they would be tied together or maybe the fungus would make the vampires even stronger or something. That's also hearkening back to some older stories that we've read. Right? Oh, man. We really need to have like a like an episode where we just talk about everything we've talked about. <laughs> right. Just like a big recap episode. You know, we'll, we'll have like we'll have the episode to be like that that picture of Charlie Day with all the lines. Going right there, you go. <laughs> and so Nathaniel, he also posted. There was an interesting blurb from Case Lajerwai. Um, he talked about Urshagal. Yeah, Ultimate Book Club member. Yeah. And he talked about Urshagal in one of his posts on comic book resources, and so Nathaniel pointed that into my direction. He said. For all I know, Urshigal could be a Watcher herself, and it would seem fitting that the darker flames have colors similar to her kind, both as Hecate or Rasputin's flames over their heads, which they have been portrayed with on occasion. Not to say that Urshigal's kind or the darker flame should needlessly be associated with evil, Hecate and Rasputin seem to stake allegiance towards evil, but Urshigal or the Ogdra had not necessarily, I'd imagine. To me, it sounds more like the Watchers and Urshigal came to blows. They appear to conflict. Worship to them may have opposed one another throughout ancient times, before any of those earlier civilizations came to an end. But at the same time, I take from it that Chaos, Urshigal, helped to form order, creation. As if to say there isn't a binary or a duality as much as an entwinement, symbiosis, and mutual need between order and chaos, light and dark. On a similar tangent, it seems to me that Hellboy's apparent indifference towards allegiances wouldn't be indifference at all, but simply that allegiances would mainly be moot to begin with, if everything would basically be needing everything else. A balance of lore and graphically in how Hellboy embodies his own asymmetry or paradox as a good guy looking like the devil, shaped with one massive right hand but not the left, against the tapestry of numerous conflicting factions, each claiming their own reading of the lore. With Hecate, Rasputin, and the like seemingly worshipping chaos over order, or as the left-hand cults versus right-hand cults, black flames versus red flames, the tangent to me remains that apparently all such conflict seems in vain if chaos and order would intrinsically prove complementary. Wow, so that, I think that that was, uh, yeah, that really wow. kind of um, brings a lot of the themes that we've been talking about, about it's kind of like the light and dark, but mm. it's not really evil or good. Right. But yeah. it's just kind of these two forces that yeah. are just constantly going back and forth between each other. Yeah, yeah, I really like that. Thank you for finding that. That's that's so awesome. That yeah, that was really cool. To... Yeah, it would be so awesome if Case could chime in on our and conversation. So I think right? it's wonderful <laughs> that we are still including Case and in the thing. I mean, because he wrote that. So those yeah. are his opinions mm-hmm. on the matter. And we're able to talk about it here. So he is forever a book club member in our yeah. hearts. Yeah, thanks for pointing me towards that. Ross Radke said the idea of Ross a Radke. yeah book club member. 
The idea of a smoking burning skeleton relaxing on a yacht next to his smoking hot wife is very funny. It's sort of hard to it's sort of hard to reconcile their sympathetic origins with the Nazi villains that they become. Talking about that little ending on Rise of the Black Flame. I just like the way he described it. Yeah. <laughs> Regarding the volume two prologue from Hellboy in Hell. Jason Abaddon said, I can totally see my cats gossiping about me when I'm away. And he left a full can of beer on the nightstand, so of course I knocked it over. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Some feedback on Hellboy and Hell, the Three Gold Whips. Wes Mattis said, I can't wait to read this with you guys. I'm really excited to find connections I didn't get the first time through. Don't let me down, book club. Uh, I hope we didn't let you down. I know. (laughs) Dustin Comics said, dude, I miss Mignola doing the art so much. It's rad when he does it every now and then. And I want to thank Ryan for sharing some of his pages. So he has that page, you know, like half of the page was just the graveyards and the crooked tombstones and all that. Right, right. Yeah, that's the page that Ryan has. So thank you for sharing that. Oh, right. I did see that. That's a great page. And he said, Hellboy and Hell is my happy place. Matt Strackbine is right. Reading it makes me feel like a child with no cares in the world. I love the fact that you're only doing a couple issues of Hellboy and Hell at a time for each new episode. They need to be savored. I definitely agree with yeah, that. Yeah, I like that too. It also helps with the editing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you know, the two issues we're going to read today, like on the one hand, they are the epitome of what makes a comic book. On the other hand, they're so far above comic book issues. Right. You know, right. or like single floppy edition of a comic book story. They're works of art. And so it doesn't matter if you get it or not. I mean, that would be, you know, that's the fun, right? Getting it and figuring it out and reading right, along. Right. But yeah. But these are true works of art. It's just to me, sometimes I'm like, I can't believe we're lucky enough that it's like a $4 comic book. Yeah. <laughs> but like, I've thought that the my entire life as a comic book collector, I'm like, I can't believe something will go on to be so valuable to so many people and they're selling it for like four bucks. Right. You know, right. or they sold it for like 10 cents. Yeah. And I know there's inflation, but just the fact that they're so accessible, not affordable, but accessible is a big, big deal, especially when it comes to Hellboy and Hell. Yeah. Yeah. Jason Abaddon said, I think Matt's wrong about the puppets just being puppets. After all, it's a puppet shop in hell. Maybe the devil puppet symbolized his guilt over killing Satan. So you remember that devil puppet came and then there was like an explosion and we were trying to figure out what was going on with that. Right. Yeah, and in in the sketchbook, that scene was referred to as a fight scene. Oh, okay. As to the demon face saying murder, I thought that was Satan himself possibly condemning Hellboy to take his place in hell. Nathaniel Green, he asked about the gold coins. So when, I didn't notice this. When they show the gold coins, there's like a little bit of writing on there, and there's like a little crest. And so we're trying oh. to figure out what kind of gold coins the whips generated. I wonder if it was whatever French coin was at the time or something like that. So, yeah, somebody let us know. That's Oh, man. Okay, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, it was really interesting. Which is weird because we always talk about the different symbols and everything and then we just like look at the coins like, nah. (laughs) (laughs) Jen Niklas said, From the deepest depths of smelly hell, a.k.a. my room, I descend to rent on the about the awesomeness that is Hellboy in Hell. Okay, not so much. 
because the important stuff is still to come. But these issues help to flesh out Hell as a place. You can really see that at this point, Mike wanted to keep Hellboy forever in Hell, so he can live through weird fairy tales like the Whips, or redraw stuff he might have been insecure with. But on the other hand, we also learn that there's still hope in Hell, even for the damned, and that for some of the damned, Hell is the best place ever. So as it's the same in hell as it is on earth, even while the hierarchies break down. So how to break it up? We'll see. Issue 5 was also the story that brought back my trust in Mike's storytelling, after the first four issues which were mostly there to set up the setting. And it all looks so awesome. I want to see Mike draw a comic in the Napoleonic Wars. See you next week. Yeah, <laughs> that's really cool. There is a distinct difference right between those first three or four issues and then everything else yeah there is yeah, yeah. i noticed that too i feel like that uh, jenny gloss's comment actually kind of fits into what we were talking about a little bit about a few minutes ago about hell yeah yeah yes. yeah yeah it, fit, it fits right in there. yeah see then it's like this is prompting so much discussion already we haven't even gone through it yeah oh, right? so like you know what i mean that's how you can it's tell great, you're getting yeah. into something you can sink your teeth into it. Clayton Schofield at Sir Edward Gray on Twitter said, Hey, you damn guys, I was folding clothes and listening to you talk about folding clothes while you listen to podcasts. <laughs> oh, that's, no. that's great. That's awesome. That's, that's a nice little meta moment there. Laundry and podcast, rum and coke, peanut butter and chocolate, hellboy and hell. Yes. There's magic when these things come together. It's true. As for time getting distorted in hell, I imagine that maybe the trip to hell is like traveling through a black hole. Time can be linear once you're there, and maybe the abyss that surrounds hell messes with time itself. I think it makes for some fantastic storytelling. Yeah, so thank you for that. And maybe you'll be folding laundry while you listen to this. <laughs> <laughs> Let us know if you're folding laundry while you hear us <laughs> talk about you folding laundry while listening to podcasts. Some, <laughs> some feedback in on Hellboy Hell, the death card. Everybody loved Coda, Matt's three-legged puppy. So thanks, yes. Matt, for letting me get some internet points on behalf of your adorable dog. Oh, yeah. No problem. <laughs> and thanks, Ryan Yule, for letting me share his awesome puppet sketch. He said, I love this little guy. I haven't ever seen much else like it. I bought it from Mike at San Diego Comic-Con last year, and he said he was glad it was going to a good home. Nice. Mark Tweedell said, I look at the death card as Hellboy being caught in the Vampire of Prague's thrall. He's caught in this strange dreamlike remix of their previous battle, with events playing out distorted differently. He's losing this time. In the original battle, he got tangled in the puppets, and for a moment he felt caught by them. But they were just puppets. In this version, the puppets are exactly what he fears them to be, and they grab him and entangle him. And as for the explosion... Well, there was an explosion last time, so there had to be one this time, right? I thought that was really cool. So it's like replaying yeah. the story, and it's like, there it's just hitting those beats, no right. matter what. You know what I mean? And this time, the explosion was coming for him. I really like that interpretation. I don't know what it would be to read those two back to back. Yeah. I need to do that. <laughs> he also said, these two stories, the three gold whips and the death card, may be standalones, but I feel like they both share a common theme of hope. Hell does not hold ultimate dominion over those it keeps. As for the snake, I don't consider it the literal character from the magician and the snake fable, but rather a manifestation of the ideas that story represents. There's a dreamlike quality to hell that allows us to say the snake is whatever is most meaningful to the observer. Ah. 
Okay. I like that. Yeah. yeah. That's cool. And Mark some, Fidel. yeah, book club member. And also, thank you, Mark, for all the work that he's been doing helping us with the reading order. Yes. Of course, um, I really as appreciate always. that. And some things I forgot to talk about. So I don't remember the exact podcast that I was listening to, but I was listening to an interview with Duncan Fagredo. And he was talking about like freaking out over the fact that Mignola redrew some of his panels. Okay, so imagine, oh, right. yeah. imagine yeah. you're Duncan Fergredo and you draw, you know, Nimue taking the heart from Hellboy, and then you see Mignola draw it. You know, that was like that was a huge like you know excitement for him to be able to see like Mignola do something that he drew originally. That must be such an awesome feeling. <laughs> I mean, it's what an incredible honor. You know, yeah, yeah. So I was going to mention that last week, and I just forgot. It's an honor enough to be able to redraw panels that Mignola had done originally. Right, right. Yeah. And then to have it go the other way. Oh, my God. <laughs> All right. And now we're going to go on to our book club episode for the week. This week, we're talking about Hellboy and Hell, The Trials of Dr. Hoffman. This was a one-shot issue published in August 2015. The single issue is actually called The Hounds of Pluto Part 1, but it was retitled The Trials of Dr. Hoffman for the collected edition. Story and art by Mignola. Colors by Dave Stewart and letters by Clem Robbins. So, at the end of Hellboy in Hell, the death card that we read last week, Hellboy met with this priest and he was told, You must feel it, the darkness closing around you, threatening to consume you forever. And then we saw that panel where they whispered murder and it looked like some sort of devil with horns. And so, Danielle theorized that it might be the demon woman for the Midnight Circus. And so we open somewhere in hell and we see this like half skull, half muscle face. It makes me think of one of those medical dolls or something, right? Oh yeah, it looks it looks a lot like one of the Grey's Anatomy um illustrations. Right. And the But what's up with the two, three, five, and six on the Well that's what I'm saying. Like usually they're numbered like what the different parts are. Ah. Right? You know what I mean? Okay. Where's number four? So yeah, like for <laughs> reference, but what I was thinking in hell, that's probably like an actual corpse or something. Right, that they grab, okay, right? yeah. Like, this isn't plastic. Right. <laughs> right. With paint. Like, these are real. Right. That's, that's just what I assumed. And how, how much, you know, you want to talk about horrible, being in a room full of that? Oh, Ugh. right, yeah. Oh, that sounds terrible. And we see Hellboy laying in bed. He's all pale, and he has a hole in his chest, and he's all gaunt. We can see, like, his ribs showing through his skin, and he groans. Do you have the cover for this, the original cover? Oh, yeah, so we didn't talk about the cover. Dang it. Because that is, like, they give it all to you right there on the cover. Sorry. Yeah, so we didn't talk about the cover. Thank you, Matt, for bringing that up. The cover of this is really amazing, and oh, it has wow. it has kind of like that line and wash, wash kind of quality. Yeah, and we'll talk about that a little bit more as we go through. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah, and it's got Hellboy, and he just looks so like skeletal underneath his trench coat. You can actually see like the outline of like. Well, you can see his like bones from his yeah, pelvis down. From yeah, that that's what I was trying to say. Yeah, thank you, Aubrey. Pretty intense. Yeah, and so he's in some sort of doctor's office. These doctors watch over him. I feel like you should say that with quotes. <laughs> <laughs> really, right? We'll see. And then, like, that shadow behind them, that's this medical thing, right? You see that? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. They give Hellboy something to drink. And then he blacks out again. So there's a panel of just all black down there. I don't know. He starts off and he's like, drink this. It's all right. 
we're doctors. <laughs> I'm like, mm, I don't know about you. <laughs> See how that last panel on that page is just solid black? Right. Yeah. Like, I feel like he would just leave that to be filled in digitally. Like, maybe oh, during most the coloring likely. stage. Probably, probably, like then, a, probably like a panel with some X's in it. Right. Right. And then on the very next page, that first panel is painted black. Right. And it's yeah. not all, but it's like 98% blackers. Right. And so that's like that transition, right? As we're transferring from the. Yeah, I really like that. That's really great. Man. So we see Hellboy. The style here is a. What was it? It's an ink and wash? Like ink wash. Yeah. And I think they talk about it a little bit more in the sketchbook. Um, but it's so beautiful. And we see like these oranges growing on a tree, right? Is that what they are? Looks like oranges. I don't know. I, I just always thought of them as like paranormal fruit. Right. Just like the fruit of life or something like that. Because they kind of look more like apples, like golden apples. Oh, ah, okay. Not really. It's and I, what stood out to me is that it's green. And green has been like a significant color. Like you remember in the very last issue at the end with the priest, when it cut to them being underwater, it was all green. Right, mm-hmm. right. So green is like a, a magical color, I feel like, in hell. When I was reading this earlier, and I and I turned the page and I saw this, I was fucking blown away. Yeah, it's I really mean, beautiful. It is gorgeous. Like, every panel, like like Danielle always says, every panel, it, it's its own piece of art, its own magnificent artwork. And yeah. Uh, once again, I want to thank you for the library edition, because I got to read it in there. Oh, right. And it's way much more impressive in there than it is on the iPad. Uh, so just like we were just saying where Manola comes in at the end of Universal Machine. Right. That's like the tone shift. It like one-ups the whole story. He just did it to himself. <laughs> yeah. You know, just by doing like a different style. But Manola just did it to Magnola. I think that's so cool. And and the and it opens with this. We literally get one page and then we turn it and it goes to this fantasy. I'd love to see him do like a, a whole omnibus of just nothing but this style. Right, yeah. <laughs> he hears a voice and he sees this figure behind him. She says, this is England. Or it was. There's no name for what it is now. England, Hellboy whispers. And that? And we see this huge, beautiful tree. This panel is magnificent with this beautiful tree painted and it's rising. And it, and it looks like it's um, kind of engulfed this whole house next to it. Or what is that? Like, um, like a well, church? That, that, that's where Hellboy and Nimoy were fighting, I guess, right? I'm assuming he just came out from where he fell. Right. And it's just engulfed the building that's around it. Yeah. Like, it's like if you've ever seen like trees just kind of growing through buildings. And right. Stuff like that. Or through the sidewalk and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. These these are some of the most beautiful pages I've ever seen in artwork. Yeah. I mean, in a comic. And I'm just, I just don't want to stop looking at them. <laughs> she says, it's the new world tree sprung up from your blood, your sacrifice. When it's grown, it will be the tree for the new world. The old tree is dying. Creatures in hell gnawed its roots. And something worse is coming. A cancer that will eat its heart. And so on the bottom, we, on one panel, we get the roots and then on the other, we get those lilies. They're so delicately drawn. Its days are numbered, and those numbers written in fire spell out your name, your true name. The number of the beast. 
Oh, wait, wait. Okay, so before we turn the page and all this, like when we first see uh, the person talking to a Hellboy and you don't see her face or anything like that, I was like, oh my God, is that Alice? I hope it's not Mab. I hope it's Alice. <laughs> right, right, because she has the Mab crown. She's like yeah. the but new Mab or whatever. We saw that crown was left for her. Right. And Hellboy asks her, Alice, God, is that you? What happened? What are you talking about? I'm sorry, she says. There's so much I don't understand myself. Not yet. So much of it is still her talking through me. Her, a Hellboy ass, and then we see Mab. Anung Unrama, Arush Unrama, destroyer of worlds, creator of worlds, she says. Queen Mab, and someday soon it will all just be me. You're Alice, you're England. It was hers, and now she's giving it to me. What I do know is that the old world is almost done. It's all going to pass away, all except for this place. So look at panel three of this page is the next panel after panel one. Right. Does the that tree. make sense? Yeah, yeah. Like, because that's her talking there, right? And then she finishes that paragraph. Oh, you're right. She did say that because she said its days are numbered. And then after that, so, yeah. It's like she's talking while they're having a conversation. Right. The first panel, by the way, is just so... I mean, like, it's a tree, but it's so expressive. Like, yeah. you can see it's, yeah. that's got so much depth and it's so... It looks like a fucking tree, and it's... I mean, I, don't, I know that sounds obvious, but you try to draw a fucking tree. It's hard. No, but the... You try to paint the, one, yeah. The watercolor, the watercolor look here that we've got going yeah. on, and the, the, the mastery of light and shadow, and the shape of the branches, the way it's growing. I mean, it's just very... These pages are beautiful. It goes without saying. It's incredible. These pages are amazing. It actually made me want to go back and look at an unmarked grave. That was that bprd story that we saw where kate actually ran into alice right. and it was at that spot and all the lilies were growing and there alice told her people will come here england she'll call to them hellboy baptized this land with his blood where buildings once stood a garden will grow people will come because they'll dream of it the best the last garden on earth hellboy would want you to stay she told kate he fought for the heart of england and the soul of the world but yes, the body of the world is dying, just as you say. But see, not here. And then she pointed to the lilies coming out of the ground. I actually thought about that when I was reading this story. I was thinking about that, uh, the whole, her, Alice's encounter with Kate. Yeah. And, and then every time we hear in the BPRD, they're talking about England's gone. It's just gone. Right, right. And so it's just like, where did it go? Oh, here it is. Right. We know that this is happening there. I found England. And it all begins here, and again, we see the fruit. And again, like Danielle was saying, you might go, oh, well, that's just some fruit. But no, like, but yeah, you draw it. But it's... it's it's <laughs> You make it look like that. And also, it's not just that. Well, yeah, that. It, it is just beautiful on its own. Like, you could hang that. But the context of it and the the fact that it's part of this this pacing and and the mood right. it's this this mood shot that we're always talking about you know and the and the colors and the shot like it's the fullness of it the yeah. the effect that it has on you yeah it's masterful it's really incredible i really i just um i enjoy panels like this i enjoy pages like yeah. this a lot and i like we were trying to theorize what this fruit is and i like here hellboy says whatever it is it's beautiful yeah, yeah that's a good way to describe it too and he just says i wish and then she cuts him off I know, but you can't. I so wish you could. Maybe I can. Maybe. No, she says. You can't. Bam. That's yeah. like a hard thing, and then he slams into this back to the um, other style. Right. I'm sorry is that last line. 
Yeah, that was really crushing. And so um, they don't. He, he doesn't have to say what he wishes, right? We know. We know yeah. already what they're talking about. And then just like it faded us into that scene, we fade back out through that one panel going back into the darkness. Hellboy wakes up and he says, Alice, oh, you're back. They're like, we thought we'd lost you for good that time. What? Where am I? Who the hell are you guys? How'd I get here? And the two doctors, they say, we found you lying in the road. And as it's talking back and forth, we see like more of those medical things around or whatever. They're real you know, dead bodies or whatever they're using there. But I do like the design of this little room, too. They kind of um, have put some little books and stuff like that in there. I feel like finding Hellboy lying in the road is such a Hellboy thing. Right. (laughs) (laughs) And one of these, like, medical things that whispers, Hellboy. I mean, didn't in the last story, he's like, hey, guys, you know where we can get a drink? Right, right. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah, that's what happened. That's how it ended, yeah. And Hellboy thanks them, and he says, I don't want to take up any more of your time, so I'll get going. Yeah, this place is super fucking creepy, too, so maybe I'll just get the fuck out of here. I know, the medical dolls are calling his name and all this stuff. I don't think those are dolls. That's what Matt was saying. Yeah, Yeah. those are definitely corpses. They tell him he shouldn't go. He's gravely ill. How does that work, Hellboy asks. I'm already dead. How much worse can I get? Much worse, one of the doctors says. They tell him some carnivorous parasite has attached itself to your doctor. Do we like the word soul? One asks the other. <laughs> doctor, I've never liked that word. I am a scientist, the other this says. Great. <laughs> now that you mention it, I am feeling pretty crappy, Hellboy says. One of the doctors says that Hellboy could end up one of those empty husks you see along the seashore. Yowling at, at the, the sea? sea. <laughs> But then we cut to this haunting. Yeah, this panel is so fucking. It's so haunting. It's so illustrative of what he is describing. It's it's so good. I love that. And I want to say that we've seen some of these before. I don't know if in the previous Hellboy and Hell stories or in another story, but I want to say we've seen kind of like these just uh, these things on the seashore, right? I I assumed it was in Hellboy and Hell. Yeah. But yeah, no, we have definitely seen these. And is that the Lake of Fire in the distance? Oh, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. One of the medical specimens whispers, Hellboy. Yeah, we don't want that. So what can you do for me, he asks. Do, there's nothing we can do. And so the doctors are all skeletons now. But they know a fellow. (laughs) Very good. Much more his thing, they say. But he's had some troubles lately. They'll see if he's available. And so now we're in the city and we see like this creepy justice statue and a trial going on. Which one is he? Hellboy asks. The one on trial, the doctor says. Great, Hellboy responds. <laughs> that was great. <laughs> that was a nice there's funny that, uh, There's that Lady of Sorrow banner again. Yeah. Right? So we see this judge and he refers to the man on trial as Dr. Hoffman. And behind him, there is that Lady of Sorrow's purple banner that we saw the Phantom Priest with in the last story. The jury is about to deliver their verdict. We also see this guy in red. Here's where you get yours, Hoffman, he taunts. Dr. Coppelius, behave yourself, the judge says. And so the jury of skeletons, they cannot decide. I love that panel where they're like, we cannot decide. What? Coppelius exclaims. Right then, that's settled, the judge responds. I don't like that guy, Hellboy says. The judge, the skeleton doctor asks. The pissed off guy, Hellboy responds. Oh, Coppelius, yes. He's horrible, the doctor says. (laughs) I feel like we just saw like a mistrial in hell. (laughs) 
Yeah, like it, it feels was a like they're just. Jury. Oh, oh shit. <laughs> it feels like they're just going through the motions. Like, do they yeah. really need to have a trial down there? Well, it's a goofy you know? hell yeah, thing. I like it that. Weird. It's you come across <laughs> like this situation. It's very Alice out. in Wonderland, like I was saying earlier. It's very come up. What's over here? What's over here? It's a tea party. It's a yeah. weird jury. Like you know, it's an outrage. Capelius yells as they let Doctor Hoffman go free, and he's warned by the judge that he will manage himself or be found in contempt. Contempt! Coppelia's eyes glow red, and he grows into this overgrown monster form. Son of a... And then so now Hellboy is in his normal red form, and he delivers right hand of Doom Boom number 37. The whole color palette changes here. You know, it's like Coppelius immediately turns into this monster, and Hellboy booms him. It's like all of a sudden we're back in those short stories of earlier Hellboy. It's all orange and red and yellow. Yeah. It's great. I thought it was really interesting how um, it kind of reminded me of like when he had that fury moment in the wild hunt where everything went all red and then Mm -hmm. he like killed all the giants. Coppelius, he falls back after being hit by Hellboy and thuds against the judge's podium. Really, doctor? Really? The judge chastises. And Hellboy, back in his pale form, gasps. That clearly expended, like, a lot of his energy to do that. I think it's so weird how that little moment just happened and then, like, just erased. Hoffman thanks him. No problem, Hellboy whispers. And it looks like his body is smoking. Is he smoking right there? Like, Yeah, totally. Yeah, like, like after, it, yeah. after expending yeah, all that energy, yeah. now he's, like, kind of deflated and it's like he's losing all of that. It's so interesting how that happened. I think Coppelius notices, too. Yeah. The doctors also introduce themselves as Chatrian and Erkman to Dr. Hoffman, and they jump at the chance to assist him with Hellboy. As Hoffman leads them home, we get this ominous panel of Coppelius still on the floor against the podium, his red eyes watching them. Hellboy asks Hoffman what he was on trial for. Who can tell, Hoffman says. It's always something. That guy Coppelius really seems to have it in for you, Hellboy says. Poor Wilhelm, Hoffman responds. He tells Hellboy that they went to university together, but hadn't talked for years. One day, he sent for him to see this golem that he built. He said that it was giving him some trouble. And so we see this golem. He's like a little cruder than Roger. And he has these long arms. It kind of reminds me of the Abe evolved arms or whatever. And it has, like, the blue sigils. He has these blue sigils on his chest. Hoffman found it agreeable. If anything, it was a little too keen on the subject of fish. And so we see the golem, and it's, like, reciting all these fish names. Turbot, carp, sea bream. But a short time later, the creature did run amok. Sadly, that is an all-common failing in golems. Halibut! We see the golem <laughs> hitting somebody's <laughs> arm off or something. I love it's just such an arbitrary thing to be upset about, I guess. Well, Golems eventually develop this, like, yeah, this you know, kind of cabin fever where they're they gotta freak out about something at some point. I was sitting there looking at this panel, and I was just like, man, that's got to be one of the most terrifying things that you ever see right before you die. It's just like, yeah, this giant golem running down to fuck you up, screaming fish names and screaming <laughs> halibut, yeah, and then you're dead. I mean. That's it. That's your life. That's how your life ended. (laughs) (laughs) It caused a lot of damage, and Coppelius was held responsible and was driven out of town and froze to death. 
And so we see Capelia still watching them, and now some flame is escaping his mouth. Now that he's in hell, he blames it all on Hoffman. Damn, Hellboy responds. We also see that magician in the snake statue. Again, I like that panel. It's so great. That story had so much of an impact, and it was so short and small, but it's it's one of my most favorite yeah story like seriously like one of the closest to my heart that's great yeah I, I think about it a lot and it's you know the fact that he makes so many references to it and and depicts it in so many different stories is um yeah it's so beautiful it's really brilliant i like that it, well in here it's like a sign of positivity or yeah. something see how yeah. it's in the second panel it's really small up in the top he yes uses yes it. matt i was gonna bring the same thing up i didn't think it was the like, same that's statue. not the original he uses oh. it like a Is that the sign, or is that just posted up? Oh, that is so interesting. I love that. Well, he uses it like a tarot card. Yeah. Where the Mm -hmm. places that he puts it in the story itself, like structurally in the story telling, but also within the world, like physically where they are in the world like it's very he almost plays it like a tarot card well and we've seen stuff like that like even in the gal denar like they were like put this symbol Uh on you if you're going to go into this and so that kind of has its own symbolism yeah Yeah. i like that it's great all i know is like i know now i want these statue companies to make this statue oh so like a little miniature one of those yeah i think uh jason abaddon said that in one of the comments this week that he really wants a statue of this yeah someone needs to make that that would be amazing I, I love the um the statue statue, but also like maybe a fun one where they're flying the kite and they're oh, hanging out and having a good yeah. time in there. Yeah. That would be great. Yeah. That one somebody should make that into a diorama. I I like <laughs> that the statue itself is is positive, like you said, it's a positive moment because the statue is also it's the snake and the magician are hanging out and they are on top of the shapes, almost as though their relationship and closeness has conquered the power oh, of the shapes. Yeah, I love that. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's kind of, I don't know. Maybe I'm reading too far into that, but. When we get to Dr. Hoffman's place, he tells the two skeleton doctors to wait outside so he can have a moment with the patient. But if they see anything unusual, to let him know. What kind of unusual, one of them asks. You will know it when you see it, Hoffman responds. And so we get this amazing panel of Capelius. He's still against the podium, and now he's just burning in all this flame. So he's Jeez. just been sitting there stewing the entire yeah. time. Yeah. I feel like it's very symbolic of just like stewing in your own hate. Yeah. You know, as he sits there and wa- and watches Hoffman go free and walk off with Hellboy, who just punched him in the face. He's like just stewing and burning more and <laughs> yeah. more. You know what I mean? Well, that goes back to when we're talking about like you create your own yeah. hell and yeah. you imprison yourself in a hell of your own making and all that and i think it's so unusual also how the judge is still there while it's all catching on fire it's almost like he's not there like he's a puppet or something or it's weird there's this weird like how you are said earlier like how it's just being played out they go in and out of these yeah yeah. it's It's interesting we'll see that again one thing i find interesting about this uh character is that uh coppelius his form seems a lot bit more demonic than human right and they're saying like and in his story was like he built this golem that ran amok and then he got driven out of town and froze to death but he's blaming everything on somebody he's blaming everything oh on Dr. yeah dr hoffman. hoffman and so it's like you know it goes back to that whole you know you you know back to back to being in hell yeah. you know, if you're not willing to accept your own responsibility you're getting more demonic yeah okay nature. it's like it can go both ways right and it keeps going based on what you're doing yeah hoffman asks hellboy to stand in front of a mirror 
Hmm. And he looks. When we turn the page, we see the banner. It says, Our Lady of Sorrow, pray for us. And it's burning. With Hellboy and Hoffman, the mirror displays this giant insect. And Hellboy's like, is it bad? <laughs> I'm afraid so, Hoffman says. Jeez. I mean, we- it looks like the uh, pictures are going into his face. <laughs> If you see it, I mean, oh, yeah, <laughs> because it disappeared. You see the back of his head and it looks like it's on front of his face. So it's just like, right. Oh. There was some speculation. I-, I thought this too. the reflection of Hellboy. It's like the back of him that that was somehow Mike Minola and not Hellboy. Oh, the back of oh. his head. You're right. Because if you see the back of Hellboy on the previous page, when the doctor's standing in front of the mirror, there's like, you know, you can see his hair, his horns, his jaw. And then here it looks totally different, but right. it was confirmed that that's just the way it looked. It wasn't actually supposed to be that. Oh, but a lot wow. of people like got online and started speculating. That's I love that. Thank you for pointing that out, man. That is so cool. So we see these bug creatures. So we've seen these bug creatures a lot. It made me think of the ones that we saw like, in the transformation of J.H. O'Donnell. Then we also saw him in the Abe Sapien series with Strobel. We saw like these bug creatures. And we theorized that they had something to do with the House of the Fly. And we know that that's Hellboy's house. Right, and, and there wasn't that one um, uh, one of the first issues of uh, Hellboy in Hell when it got lit up and there was nothing but these bug creatures. Yeah, everywhere. you're right. You're yeah. right. Yeah. So it made me think of all those different things, and it's just terrifying. Hoffman gives Hellboy a drink to hold him over until he can deal with it. Ugh, it's disgusting. Hellboy says, "Don't be a child. It's medicine." Hoffman says, and so we notice that Hellboy's color starts to come back, and he's like, "See, you look yeah. better already." I guess Hellboy says. We also see Capelia still burning. Now he's just a skull. And he says, Hoffman. So then we also see that burning face in the sky, right? (laughs) Where are you, Hoffman? You suppose that's the unusual he was talking about? One of the skeleton doctors says. (laughs) (laughs) And so they call into Hoffman and he invites them in. Doctors, our friend's case is very serious. But now there's this other matter that needs attending to first. You both still willing to assist? Of course, they say. Very good, Hoffman says. And so I just want to point out all the stuff that he has in his house behind him. This image behind Hoffman and Hellboy in this corner panel is Phileas Noster, or Our Son, by Barrow Erbigerus. Erbigerus was a 17th century writer on alchemy. He is known for a collection of a hundred aphorisms claimed to set out completely the theory of the alchemical work, the preparation of the Philosopher's Stone. Nice. Yeah, so I thought that was pretty interesting. And I think the Philosopher's Stone has been mentioned in another story. Yeah. Love me some alchemy art. Thanks, Matt, for the research assist on that. Outside, we see now Capelius has become this giant monster in the sky, and he's reaching down through the clouds. There's also all this orange lightning throughout this red sky in hell, and this huge like plume of clouds, like smoke. I want to say that that's coming from where he was sitting there, where everything was burning. And he calls to Hoffman. In- <laughs> inside, Hoffman says, Dr. Chatrian, if you fetch that dead cat off the shelf there, and Dr. Erkman in that cabinet there... Third drawer from the right, you'll find a piece of red string. And I love all the different panels as we see like yeah. them pull out, and there's just like a panel of the red string on black. I find it just a whole, if you grab that dead cat, I'm just <laughs> <laughs> it's very humorous. Yeah. 
He also asks Hellboy how he's feeling, and Hellboy's like, pretty good. Excellent. In that room over there, you'll find a large trunk. If you'll please drag that out back to the courtyard. So you're like, what is he doing here? Okay, you got the trunk, you got the dead cat, and this thread. And so we, they're bringing it all back into the courtyard. We see Hoffman holding the cat and the thread. It would appear that Dr. Capilius's hatred of me has finally driven him completely mad, and now he's coming to settle this thing once and for all. I think it best that you two wait back inside, he tells the skeleton doctors. And me, Hellboy asks? I'm going to lie down in this trunk. If you could just keep him occupied while I trap his spirit inside this dead cat. Yeah, okay, <laughs> Hellboy says, lighting up a cigarette. I love that. <laughs> that, that one panel when he lights it up is just... Oh. It's Perfect. so classic. Yes, yeah. it's great. And so I love this. We just see Hellboy standing over the trunk with Dr. Hoffman and the dead cat inside it. And then we see the city just erupting with this orange lightning over this red sky. Hellboy looks like a statue there, right? Yeah. Oh, he yeah. almost looks like a statue standing over the trunk. Yeah. yeah. It brings to immediately the wizard snake yeah. statue. Yeah. From a nearby puppet theater, you know, because they're frequent all throughout hell, right? Oh, I thought this right. was the one that we've seen before. Uh, it might be. <laughs> we hear The Song of the Witches by William Shakespeare. I found a good write-up on it on schmoop.com. Usually, Shakespeare writes in iambic pentameter, but he switches it up here. The witches' lines are written in something called trochaic tritaminer. Usually, when Shakespeare ditches his normal meter, something big is happening. He might do it to show someone has gone mad, or to have super important news delivered. So what's going on here? It seems Shakespeare is changing his style to separate the witches from the rest of the pack. The nobles speak in iambic pentameter, the commoners speak in prose, or lines with no meter, and the witches speak in this trochaic tritaminer with rhymes to boot. These lines are really supposed to sound as obscure and chanty as they do when you read them aloud. The witchers are saying that twice, or double the amount of trouble, will now be brought on Macbeth. The witches know it will not end well for him, and their creepy chant lets us in on it too. This is also playing on features of doubles and peoples in disguises, which is prominent in that play. Aubrey's right. That's the exact same puppet theater in the same alleyway. Oh, wow. Awesome. We've seen that before. Yeah, the one that did the Charles Dickens. The Christmas Carol. Yeah. Right, Good right. Good job there, Aubrey. Awesome. Thank you for that, Matt. And so we hear the rhyme, Do you know, should I read it? Double, double, toy on trouble, fire burn and cauldron bubble, fillet of fenny snake in the cauldron, boil and bake, eye of newt, toe of frog, wool of bat, tongue of dog, adder's fork and blind worm sting, lizard's leg and owlet's wing, double, double, toil and trouble, like a hell broth boil and bubble, scale of dragon, tooth of wolf, by the pricking of my thumbs, Something wicked this way comes. And so as we get those lines, eye of new, toe of frog, we get all these corresponding red panels of those different animals, which is a nice Mignola touch. We also see the sky still erupting in fire. We see like the skeletons. There's, they're the ones singing the song in the puppet theater. And there's like a snake slithering its way around them as they're going and so as they finish up it's like coming out of their hands i really like that we also see the red sky erupting with this orange lightning and it's actually destroying some of the nearby buildings super dope colors 
Yeah, it's so awesome. Yeah. And it's like building, you know, as the rhyme is going over a couple of pages, it really is building towards this enormous Coppelius yeah. coming down on Hellboy. And that's Yeah, that's another thing is that the, yeah. the uh, composition of these pages and, and the panels and the pacing and the, like you said, the colors, Dave Stewart, I mean, this is, it all comes together to create this, build up this tension almost like when you are listening to... There's some pieces of, of classical music yeah, that do yeah. this, like that have this, you know what I mean? Like a soundtrack will yeah, do. Yeah. And so it's, it's when you get to that giant page where he's just like, ah, ah like it's, <laughs> it has that effect. I love that Hellboy shouts out, geez. Yeah, yeah. geez. Yeah. <laughs> we focus in on the dead cat. I'm here. Come to me, we hear Hoffman say. The Hounds of Pluto or the Hounds of Pluto Part 2 as the single issue is named as a one-shot published in September 2015. Story and art by Mignola, colors by Dave Stewart, and letters by Clem Robbins. And so I do want to point out really quick, on the cover of the issue, which is not here in the collected version we're looking at, so it's got the two skeleton doctors behind Hellboy, the dead cat is like giant over Hellboy, and one of the doctors is saying... Well, now that's something. <laughs> I thought that was pretty good. Yeah, it's oh, rare yeah. that they put word balloons on the cover. Yeah, it's very rare that they would put any dialogue on the cover. So, yeah, it's really interesting. Well, they used to put uh, word balloons on the covers way back in the day. Yeah. I mean, but uh, nowadays, covers more like movie posters. But it's kind of like hearkening yeah. back to that. I, I like that yeah. you mentioned that way back in the day. These stories are kind of like that. We've talked about that. I like the cat kind of looks like a T-Rex a little bit. <laughs> Just the size of it. We open somewhere in hell. The sky is red, continuing right where we left off. We see the statue of Pandemonium. The giant skull of Coppelius coming down on Hellboy. Boom, Hellboy says, as he delivers right hand of doom. Boom, number 38. And so he says boom in this one. This one is so awesome, too. The colors are so amazing. The impact of the right hand and everything. And I love that. Um, we've talked about this before where Hellboy is just little shapes. Yeah. But mm -hmm. you see yeah. so much motion in there. You know what I mean? But in reality, it's just very little detail. Oh, oh ice cream truck, truck is fast. <laughs> <laughs> ice cream. But he does actually say boom in this one. And so I forgot if it was Jerry Turnbull or whatever, but Jerry Turnbull was like, those are the only true right hand of doom booms or the one where he actually says it when he does it. And so I actually mm, went back and okay. looked. And so if you're only counting those, this would be number eight. Oh, wow. Damn. Yeah. Right hand of doom boom and right hand of doom boom boom. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I was thinking like we had we didn't get any uh, right hand of doom booms in the last two issues, and so yeah. two in this one, two in this story is just like yeah, yeah, uh, awesome. Now behave yourself, Hellboy says after he delivers the blow inside the skeleton doctors. What's he doing out there? It's hard to say. One of them says like he's fighting this giant thing. Like yeah, what <laughs> yeah. <I> mean, <laughs> Maybe he's looking for more eloquent words to say. Right. <laughs> Hoffman, Compelius comes down on Hellboy. Relax, Hellboy says. I think he went next door to borrow a mandrake root. But he told me to tell you to stick around until he... And then so Hoffman interrupts. Wilhelm, I'm here. Mandrake root. Did you look that up? Oh, no. Go ahead. Do you have something? So I was reading it, and my wife was in the room. And she has a vast knowledge of all kinds of like herbal remedies and homeopathic remedies and stuff. And, and I said, 
hey, what would you use mandrake root for? And she goes, I don't know. It sounds like a sex thing, right? Yeah, it's like and a fertility deal. So I was like, hmm, I'll look it up then. And it's for a whole bunch of stuff. Ulcers, whooping cough, a whole list of things. And right at the end, it says increase interest in sexual activity. Oh. <laughs> but in hell, I think mandrake root is probably, you know, as good as anything else. Right, right, right. yeah, sure. <laughs> that, yeah, makes yeah. The, that makes that joke even funnier. Why not? Yeah. Might as well. Yeah. <laughs> it gives a lot of insight on Hellboy that he knows that too, right? He knows what mandrake root is used for. That's funny. Yeah. And so I do want to talk about this panel. So, you know, Hoffman says, I'm here. He beckons Coppelius to him. And then a lot happens really quickly. It's kind of hard to describe in this audio podcast form. This is really one where you want to look at the issue. But as Coppelius's giant hand comes down to grab Hellboy... There's all this kind of subtle magic where the sky is red-orange when he grabs him, and then it goes to dark colors, and Hellboy drops out of the sky. At the same time, we focus in on the dead cat, and its black eyes turn orange. So it tells us so much in just those four panels, you know what I mean? Like, Coppelius, he grabbed Hellboy, Hoffman trapped him in the cat, and then Hellboy was just being held out of air, and he falls down on top of the trunk. Really cool. I just love how that page is done, and just all the magic that it conveys just in those four panels right there. Yeah. Hellboy falls down on the trunk. Is that it, he asks? Boom, the trunk flies open. I love that, too. Going from this page to the next is really good. The whole color palette is orange and red. And we see Hoffman is being attacked by the dead cat. It's like gnawing at his ear or something. (laughs) Yeah, definitely got a chunk off his ear. (laughs) And so Hellboy grabs it by the tail. He's like, gotcha. Don't let him go, Hoffman says. I'm trying, Doc. Jeez, Hellboy says. Not as easy (laughs) as. And then it slips out of his hand. The dead cat... Go ahead. And then they scream at each other, right? Oh, yes. The the cat yells at and then Hellboy does it back, and I feel like he's, like, mocking him. Right, exactly. (laughs) And then as the right hand of Doom makes contact with the cat's jaw, like, it immediately goes back dead. Like, I love that kind of transformation there. There's all the brightness, too, is taken out in that next panel. But it's also taken out of Hellboy, too. He turns all pale as well, and he passes out. Yeah, I love the the colors are doing so much of the work in this scene. Hellboy awakes from passing out again. Crap. Hoffman apologizes. He was rushed and didn't have the string tied around the cat's neck tight enough. And he asks Hellboy how he's feeling. I could use some more of that medicine of yours. But Hoffman says it's too late for that. But not to worry. Now he can give Hellboy his full attention. And we focus in on the cat with the red thread around its neck. Hoffman, it calls. Yeah, you just turn your rival into, you know, decor in your office. (laughs) But I I did want to talk about the red thread a little bit because this was something that I got on the reread. You know, I remember this story. And then when we were rereading Abe Sapien, there's this weird thing that's happening in Abe Sapien where they have like this green dust. And they're using voodoo to bring back these zombies, remember? Oh, right, yeah. yeah. And they have the people that turn into the zombies, they're tied up with these baby skulls and red thread. 
Oh. oh. And Man. so I remembered that. So so when we were reading Abe Sapien this time through, all of a sudden I caught that because I'd already read this. And I was like, oh, I got to remember that when we go back and read Hellboy in Hell. So if you want to go back and look, it's an Abe Sapien to the last man. And the one that had Arbogast, the red thread appears in both of those stories. Hoffman tells the skeleton doctors that he's happy to have them, but he has to warn them. There could be considerable danger. Oh, one of them says. And then so when he lights the match, they're they're gone. <laughs> Just, they got out of there. <laughs> yeah. Just the same, Hoffman says. I can't imagine they would have been much use. Probably not, Hellboy responds. Will you tell me your name, Hoffman asks. Back in the world, they called me Hellboy, he says. Really? Hoffman responds. That's unfortunate. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, now that I'm here, it does seem silly, Hellboy says. Your family? Hoffman asks. Kind of a mess, Hellboy says. My father was a demon, a Zeo. Saw him recently. He wasn't looking too good. My mother was a witch. She died renouncing all her evil deeds, but apparently it didn't do her much good. I was born in hell and sent to earth in a ball of fire. And as he's talking, we get these amazing flashbacks. I mean, all of these panels are just incredible. We see Azael in front of Hellboy saying, Anung Unrama. And I want to say that this is from his birth, right when they had attached the right hand of doom to the baby. We also see Azael trapped in the ice. We see a flashback to the chained coffin and also to, well, we didn't really see this panel. Uh, this is kind of filling in something new where right. um, where Hellboy appears on Earth. There's like a little explosion. Yeah, that's like page six of Seed of Destruction. Those soldiers silhouetted like that is right off that page. Oh, okay. The, the difference is this, it's funny, it's like pulled out. But we see less of that explosion. Ah. So it is kind of like a different angle, but those soldiers are like exactly how they are on that page. Cool. That's cool that they went back and referenced that. This page is wild. I love these big reference pages. When Hellboy tells Hoffman his backstory, he goes, horrible. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but then it was okay a long time. I was taken in by a good guy and raised to be more or less a human. And we see Professor Broom saying, Hellboy. I had friends, Hellboy says. A good job. Then, a while back, things started to get complicated. And so we see this panel. I like this panel with Kate, Abe, and Liz with her beret back when she would wear her beret. Remember that? I was was sitting there looking at it. I was like, oh, they look so young compared to what we see them now. You're right. Yeah, that's my favorite panel in the whole comic. Oh, yeah. And then we also see this panel where he's punching off a skeleton's head. That's from A Christmas Underground. We also see Hecate in her snake form from Wake the Devil. And we see the Bog Rouge from The Third Wish. These are some jam-packed pages here, man. We've We've got everything on these pages. We've got... Baby Hellboy, we've got the whole, the gang's all here. We've got <laughs> punching skeletons. We've we got go. Hecate. I mean, this is, you know, Bog Roosh. we got Excalibur. This is yeah. jam-packed shit. This is like 20 years worth of comics condensed really, into yeah. two condensed pages. Condensed into like two or three pages, right? Until finally, and then so we also see the panel of Nimue pulling Hellboy's heart out and him crumbling to dust. I thought it would be simpler once I was dead, but it didn't turn out that way. And then so we see him being handed the knife. And so we know that what he would go on to do with that. So cool that Alice is here again. Oh, yeah. We see her in the background, too. 
No, maybe for some people, but not for you, Hoffman says. And so in the sketchbook, because I was wondering, what is this structure that they're walking through? We kind of see them before the flashback begins go under down these stairs. In the sketchbook, Mignola writes, hell does have a subterranean basement. (laughs) And so they walk out into all this just grayness. I thought that was so interesting. Yes, this these few pages are so I had to go back and like re read them because uh, I wanted to feel that again. Yeah, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like I wanted to feel that feeling of reading them again. Like you, when someone says, "Oh, I've never seen that," you go, "Oh, we gotta watch this. It's gonna be so good. <laughs> You're so lucky you get to experience this for the first time." Yeah. Because when I go back and rewatch something, I'm like, just I just want to feel that again sometimes because when these stories have such an impact on you so like you said they walk out into this gray wait like area and it's, it's just so like quiet nothing and yeah gray and still and it's so fucking creepy and i love it and the palette is so and then when you get to that page yeah where the psychedelic shit starts happening yeah, yeah. i i lost it i i fucking love these pages <laughs> But the pacing is amazing because it does get very quiet. Oh, it's so good. And they just see this pedestal in all the grayness. What is that, Hellboy ass? It doesn't matter, Hoffman says. Sit there. And Hellboy ass? It looks like a a stone. I don't want to say sarcophagus because that's, you know, but it's when you go into a graveyard. So, like, sometimes in areas, like, for example, like, New Orleans comes to mind where a lot of stuff has to be above the ground. It's not a mausoleum because it's just one coffin, but it's not a coffin coffin. It's a... Mm. Yeah, yeah. You know what I'm talking about. Okay. It's like those overground coffee. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. it's like that. It, yeah. That's what it reminds me of. I was trying to of. figure out what that right. was. I mean, it's, you know. And so it's one of those things where and now we wait. And then the pacing, like you said, the pacing is so. And then that. We focus in on the candle yes. burning, which I thought was really and then cool. And that full fucking pace. This is so well done. This is so well rendered. Yeah. It's perfect. It's so good. The way that this is represented like that is, ugh. And from the murky gray, we see those bug insect creatures emerge, and it's almost like they're cutting through the grayness with their color palette and their or design. It's sort of like ah. fades yeah. into, like yeah. you kind of phase into that reality. Like, yeah. like I said, it's very psychedelic. I love it's that. It's incredibly psychedelic, and I just really... And they're like bringing all these jellyfish things with them, and it's kind of very reminiscent of when Hellboy was in the abyss. Yeah. Yeah, it makes me feel like the abyss is always right there it's always yeah and so there's just a very thin veil between you and the abyss at all times it just takes some small catalyst to make it so that you're all of a sudden y'all are interacting now and it's very i fucking dig that shit Geez, what the hellboy exclaims careful hoffman says whatever happens now let me do the talking Hellboy asks who they are. The Irenes, sometimes called the Furies, Hoffman says. In ancient Greek religion and mythology, the Irenes or the Furies were female chthonic deities of vengeance, sometimes referred to as infernal goddesses. A formulaic oath in the Iliad invokes them as the Irenes that under earth take vengeance on men, whosoever has sworn a false oath. According to some sources, the three classic furies sprang forth from the spilt blood of Uranus when he was castrated by his son Cronus. The sisters are Electo, punisher of moral crimes, Magura, punisher of infidelity, oathbreakers, and theft, and Tisiphone, punisher of murderers. And so they're also described here by Hoffman. He says sometimes they act of their own volition, but more often they are invoked. 
to see justice done when some criminal has escaped the common law of men and gods. They hound the guilty till he or she is reduced to a mindless phantom doomed to wander in the dark for all time. Invisible till now, these are the creatures that have been hounding you, gnawing away at your soul. Why me, Hellboy asks. It's a fair question. What has this man done? And so all the bugs are like, murder, murder. He will not deny the charge. And so we see Hellboy's eye, and then we see the knife clang coming down again after he killed Satan. It's so cool that Hoffman is like, as a doctor, he's like his lawyer. Yeah. So it's <laughs> it's like he has to defend him, like the disease has justified being there. And he's like, well, I beg to differ. Right. And it's kind of funny because I think he was essentially defending himself when we saw him in court in the previous issue, right? Right. Yeah. So oh, yeah, yeah. He sort of wears both hats. Yeah. Hoffman says that Hellboy does deny it. I speak for him. I know him. He is not capable of such a thing. And Hellboy's like, let it go, Doc. Who is he accused of murdering? He has the right to know. Most especially horrible family murder, one of the bugs says, to his own two brothers and his father's brother. And then so Hellboy, because Hellboy thinks they're talking about how he killed Satan. Yeah. And so he's like, let it go, Doc. But then he's like, hey, I didn't have anything to do with that. Yeah, I mean, I I actually thought he was, they were talking about Satan until they brought that up. And I, yeah. So I was like, oh, I'm with you, Hellboy. And then all of a sudden, Hellboy is swapped aside. Blood does not lie. And so we see the bugs. They put one of their bug fingers, I guess, into the blood of Hellboy. We get this one panel where they're like inspecting it. And then they say, innocent. So many deaths at his hands, but not these. Told ya, Hellboy says. <laughs> And so they say, she lied, and she will answer for it. Gamori. Stand and answer for what you've done. So this is the this is that character I was yeah. talking about. Yeah, so you were, you were totally right All when right. they teased that little murder. So what she was saying is she had probably just discovered Ast- yeah. Astaroth and the two brothers dead, and she was like, murder. That was that panel setting this up. Right. I thought so you got to remember, familiar. in the Midnight Circus... Astaroth said, you cannot harm him as long as I'm alive. And she agreed to that. Right, yeah. yeah, yeah and yeah. so it makes sense that as soon as he was dead, she comes back onto the scene. Yeah, there He's you just go. been waiting for the moment. I also want to point out that the judge's monster things here are pretty reasonable. Yeah. <laughs> they, 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 t- they drink Cowboy's blood. Like, oh, he's innocent. Let's go. <laughs> she lied to us? Yeah. And so they summon her here, and she's like, answer to you, deliver my revenge, or sling back to your hole and lick spit for your master. Jeez. And Hellboy's like, master? Uh, Hoffman's like, Pluto. Uh. Crap, Hellboy says. And so Pluto's the ruler of the underworld in classic mythology. So these are the bloodhounds of Pluto. Right, yes. And that's a reference, right? Well, the title is called on the hounds of pluto yeah okay oh you're and right just, okay you know, yeah she, she just calls them bloodhound blood yeah you're right yeah. i want to but i want to say that that is something within the myth as well i should have looked that up anyway hoffman asks you know her i saw her once hellboy says was kind of hoping that was just a dream because remember when he was little he was yeah. like oh it was just a dream right and so we get a panel flashing us back to the Midnight Circus. And so just like Figredo freaked out when Mignola redrew his panels from The Storm and the Fury, I wonder what he thought about this too, right? Yeah. Oh, man. Right. 
And so and we get a panel there of Hellboy seeing her and within the tent she says, come closer. No one will ever know. I love the flashback and callback, but I also like how Hellboy thought it was a dream until now. Yeah, yeah. So his his whole life he thought that was a dream. Well, he ended up with the whole Pinocchio thing happening where he's in yeah. the belly of the whale with yeah, the professor. Yeah. There was a lot of dream like stuff happening there. Yeah. No, I mean it was great. I mean I mean I just I just love I just love the callback. I just think it's nice. Yeah. 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 Crap, I think that's my sister, Hellboy says. Look at the doctor's face. Yeah, he's like e <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, from, gross. Uh, from Matt's article on Mignolaverse.com, posing as a seductress in the gentleman-only tent at A.T. Roth Circus Spectacular, Gamori created a much more inviting atmosphere, but she wanted to kill Hellboy even then. She no doubt would have, except her uncle Astroth prevented it. And so, like Matt said, he forbid her from going anywhere near Hellboy while he was still alive, and she agreed. And I looked at this also in the Munich Manual, Lesser Key of Solomon, Dictionary Infernal. They describe Gemory or Gremory, which is pretty close to Gamori. Gremory is described as appearing in the form of a beautiful woman, though referred to using masculine pronouns he and his, wearing a duchess crown and riding a camel, ascribed with the power of revealing hidden treasures and answering questions about the past, present, and future. And so when Hellboy says, I think that's my sister, she says, half-sister. And that you and I share a common father is the greatest shame of my existence. That's harsh, Hellboy says. <laughs> <laughs> also a little uh, melodramatic. Yeah, and so she's really pissed off that Azeo would choose Hellboy before the two brothers or her. And he will suffer forever for that. But that's enough for you. You aren't satisfied, so you've come back to kill us all. Didn't you hear your pals up there? I didn't do it, Hellboy says. Liar, she responds. It's true. In fact, your uncle, who was always a pain in the ass, cut off one of your brother's heads. Then a giant <laughs> sea monster jumped up and swallowed the whole bunch of them. I had nothing to do with any of it. Liar, she says. And even if it's true, it's all your fault. Shut up, Hellboy responds. It's very, those the brother and sister yeah. banter, yeah. It's very very Hellboy thing to do. Shut up. <laughs> and she says, I warned him. And so we get another flashback where she told him, you're making a mistake, right? Kill him now while you still can, I said. And I was right, Gamori says. Maybe he could have stopped you then, but now, now it's too late. You're dead, but cannot die. You're a curse. Better that you should have never been born. And so as she's saying all this, she's getting pulled into the abyss by those bug things, right? How they oh, like retract man. back into the darkness. She's still talking shit the right? whole time, the whole way down. <laughs> that's that's gutsy. I mean, really, like I would have worse things to worry about right. at that moment in time. But that's, you know. She's a nasty piece of she work. She is who she is. Yeah. I mean, there you go. What do you think they're going to do to her, Hellboy ass? Best not to think about it at all. Let's go back to my house and... Hey, Hellboy says. What are you guys going to do to her? He asks the bugs and so we see their word bubbles. You want to know how she will made to suffer? Not really, Hellboy says. Can you skip over that and just tell me what happens when you're done? Done? When we judge, she's paid enough. We will let her go. And so we see her being like abandoned in this like just stark, I guess, desert area. But look, look before that how the doctor's in skeleton form now. Right, yeah, Dr. Hoffman has turned into a skeleton. It's like everything's kind of back to 
normal as far as hell goes. Right. Yeah. The bugs, they tell Gamori to look for a river of blood. Find that. Follow it to its source. It will take you home. And so we, like, see her following this blood all the way back to Pandemonium. And when she sees what's there, that the river runs from Satan's cutthroat. And so we reveal Satan dead there. So, like, a river of blood is flowing from his throat all the way out that's into the desert. That is so crazy. Up, yeah. yeah, that's... That's some metal shit right This there. is another thing I went back and looked at again. Yeah. Just the way that it's presented to us, the pacing of it. Yeah, it's very intense. So they're going to torture her, and then they're going to tell her to look for this river of blood and follow it. And so she's going to follow it all the way to Satan and find him dead. And there she will go mad. And her screaming will be such that the walls will shatter and come crashing down around her. The hateful place will be utterly destroyed. And so we see Pandemonium going up in flames. No, please. It is all we ever wanted. We see all the little minions that were trying to take it over. Pandemonium falls. Hell's fire snuffed out. And the heart of hell gone forever. So we've talked about this before where it's kind of like telling us what's going to happen while it's happening. Yeah. So it's like this is happening like right now. Yes, exactly. We're seeing pandemonium crumble and it's just left in the darkness. I mean, it kind of goes back to what uh, you were saying earlier, Matt, about time. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, like there's no reference of time. And so yeah. like, it could be five minutes, it could be five hours. Right. But in this, it's like, you know, it's like you said, they're telling him what's going to happen afterwards while it's happening at the same time and it's so yeah once (laughs) once you have knowledge of what is to come it immediately happens yeah wow like that's it we're there like the last few pages here you can see the hellboy is way in the future now yes yes i want to say this is after pandemonium has already fall and everything and hellboy's just sitting there in the dark he lights up one of his cigarettes and he goes walking into this forest of all these crooked trees. And he and just he sits healed. there. Yeah. yeah. Way better than on the cover to that first issue. Right. Yeah. And there's the fruit again, like, hearkening back to it. Right. And they show the fruit after it says the end, which I thought was interesting. Those oh, are some nice yeah. pages to have. Oh. Yeah. Because they said that the, the tree is the rebirth, the new beginning. Right. Right. Oh. Ooh, I like that. Yeah. Although I would just point out, like uh, this panel, the the panel where he lights up. Yeah. And then um, the page before it, like when you're reading it in the library edition, it's that's two pages back together. Yeah. Oh, yeah. right. So, that's one thing that we lose reading in the digital version. Yeah. yeah. And so you see, like the panels go, and then the, the it gets darker, and then darkness, and then. Yeah, yeah I like the, that is so cool. I love that. Thank you for pointing that out. These last couple pages are so beautiful. And like Danielle said, you just want to kind of linger over them yeah, for a while. It's, nice. it's very touching, too. It is. Um, at the end of this, where Hellboy's just sitting there under the tree. It's but like, even in hell, we can have these moments. Right. This is nice to, well, to savor these little moments. And going back to last week when we read the three gold whips, like that's how he was sitting when Dulo found him. So, like, that's just what he wants to do, is just sit there and smoke a cigarette and just be there. You know what I mean? Yeah. He's just that's kicking really, it. Yeah. I have no other way to describe it except Hellboy's just kicking it in hell. And the funny thing, so I wonder, this is the kind of thing Mark would know, but, like, they were only putting these issues out when they had, like, like these two issues go together. So they would only put one out when the other one was done. Mm. They They didn't risk... 
any lag time. Right. right? But that way, they also knew when there was going to be several months of no comics. And so I think that lends to the effect we get at the end of these stories where it's, like you said, it feels touching. It's like thoughtful. It's like, oh, it's like a nice place to leave it because the creators knew that they were literally going to leave it there for a while. Right, right. I mean, there's only 10 issues and it came out over the course of how many years? Yeah, I don't know, but yeah. Three or four years, something like that, maybe more. Yeah, that is so awesome. And another thing, like talking about the world building, you know, somebody mentioned this way back when we had first started. I think it was Ross Radke. But if you go to the the second library edition, the library edition that collects like um, all the short stories and stuff like that, on page 296 in the library number two, Mignola draws all these different demons and he's got them labeled and Gamori's in there and she's labeled oh, Gamori. Right. Oh. So you talk about like, did they plan that and this and that all the way back on the one of the very first sketchbooks, he's got her already drawn there and named. So you know what I mean? So this character was always meant to be something. I think that's so interesting. Man. And so I'll post a picture of that. So if you've got the library edition, starting on page 313, in the library edition, Mignola says, The following pages, the Hellboy in England dream sequence, done in ink wash and pencil. And so I don't know if these are in the other collected versions, but it is so amazing to have the just the ink wash and pencil version of these yeah. pages to look at they're so beautiful yeah i mean it, it's like his artwork is, is is amazing and then when you see like the the black and white ink wash it just it just really confirms how gorgeous that is and then go back and look at the the colored ones and you're like oh yeah dave stewart's a fucking master yeah <laughs> <laughs> and then he also has the studies for the puppet show and all those different things you can see they're very intricately laid out how he wanted to do that hellboy with trees and demons with trees for a while there i was having a really good time drawing trees mignola writes oh yeah and it's, it shows it really shows yeah the amount of care given and the amount of observation given and the amount of time i mean you know, I, I've said this before, I'm sure, but the, you know, all you see when you see a finished work of art, you see that work of art. You don't see what's behind it, which is a thousand crumpled up yeah. pieces of paper or a thousand whatever. When If you're sculpting a thousand lumps of clay or, th- you know, you don't see all the years that went into that, right, that right. tree or these particular pages of trees. And so the amount of time he spent studying trees and drawing these trees. I think about that sometimes. I'm grateful for uh, what I get to look at, I guess, is is where that's going. (laughs) You see that pay off. You're like, man, these trees look awesome. Beautiful, yeah, Yeah. absolutely. And, you know, but the expressiveness of that. Why are those trees there? You don't have to think that hard when you're looking at this stuff, when you're looking at this team. It's You don't have to think about why are these panels or pages here. Right, right. It's there because... It's supposed to be there, and it's beautiful, and it, it serves its purpose. It makes its point. Yeah, reading these Hellboy and Hell stories have been so much fun. Oh, um, yeah. They're so rewarding, and they're just, they lend for so much conversation and discussion afterwards. So it's really been great. I'm really glad that we got to this point in the podcast. When you first started, you're like, oh, man, I can't wait to talk about Hellboy and Hell, but that's going to be forever. And then now we, we're here being able to do it. So and- um, it's it's been great. Yeah, it just gets better. Well, it's like now that we're here and it's like we've gone through what um eight issues now? No, I don't want it to be over. 
Yeah, you don't want I don't, it to be I don't over. want it to be over. I, I want to. No, I want to. Let's, let's just rewind time and go back to the beginning and start it over. Yeah. Awesome. Well, it's like you. It's like you were saying, John, how you went back to Abe and read about the red thread there. These comics reward multiple reading and also reading all the different titles. Yeah. yeah. Because uh, even something small like that, maybe it doesn't mean anything, but it's a more well-rounded world. And you know the comics are going to be better if the creators took that kind of thoughtfulness into account yeah. on like in behind the scenes. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Agreed. Awesome. So great discussion on Hellboy and Hell. I'm so excited to listen to everyone's listener feedback. I'm excited to see what pages Ryan has of these stories. He'll obviously post something (laughs) probably. Awesome. We'll be back with some more short stories. So I did want to say this really quick. We are going to be talking about Baba Yaga's feast and how Kashi became deathless. And I don't really know where they're collected. We were having this discussion before we started the show. I know they're in the Hellboy Weird Tales omnibus in the very beginning, but I'm not sure where else they are. So, but I'll figure that out prior to next week. So when we cover those on on the episode, I will tell you guys where those stories fall in the different collected versions. All right, and so I'm excited for another great episode next week, and now Aubrey's going to say all the things. Man, that was just a stunning, beautiful episode and issues to read. Share us your thoughts on these issues. You can send us uh, hey you damn guys at hellboybookclub at gmail.com. Follow us on Facebook at Hellboy Book Club Podcast and on Instagram and Twitter at Hellboy Book Club. You can find the Discord link, the Reading Order, and Adam Hicks chronology all on our Facebook About section. Always a special thank you to Paul from Gachahan for the music. Always wonderful. Thank you, Mark Twidell, for helping John with the work. Thank you, John. Thanks, Matt. Thank Danielle. <laughs> I uh, didn't do anything. Thanks, Danielle, for being Danielle. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Danielle's wearing an awesome gigantic, oh, I'm wearing the, gigantic the Liz shirt Liz yeah. Yeah. from the gigantic brewing. Yeah, yeah. good job there. And thank oh, yeah. you beer uh, no. <laughs> you can find the podcast on podbean apple Podcasts, spotify and wherever you get your podcast from next week we are reading hellboy sure are in hell. the end. No. <laughs> we're reading some more hellboy people um hellboy in hell how kashi became deathless awesome baba yaga's feast awesome. and the exorcist of vorsk and Abe Sapien, Dark and Terrible, The Garden, Part 3. That sounds very exciting. Yeah, Those awesome. are all very exciting prospects. Hell yeah. Huh? So you know what to do. Grab out those uh, back trades, arms, uh, floppy, library, digital. You know what to do. And join us next week on the Hellboy Book Club podcast. Thanks a lot for listening, everybody. I'm John Salinas. I'm Danielle. <laughs> and I'm Matt Strackbein. And I'm Aubrey Loveless saying... I'm a scientist. (laughs) (laughs) You sure are, buddy. You sure are.